Whether you have a skin interest, a skin query, a skin trauma, or skin disease, I warmly welcome you to Heal Thy Skin, a podcast brought to you by Derm Health Co. I'm Marnie, dermal clinician, dermoscopist, and your podcast host. Skin is deeper than beauty, and our mission is to build the largest platform of specialized practitioners focused on skin health and skin empowerment. Join me each week where we go deep into the skin and beyond to hear stories and education from leading practitioners on a journey of skin health. When my sister was younger, she experienced outbreaks of eczema. Interestingly, this worsened when she ate things like citrus fruits, um, oranges and mandarins. She's since grown out of it. She's an adult, but... I've always found it quite interesting to hear how certain foods can cause a skin irritation or even um, cause a skin disease for some people. Food intolerances and food allergies are at an all-time high. Um, So today we're actually discussing the difference between a food intolerance and a food allergy and how and why it may manifest on the skin and how to tell the difference. Welcome to episode number 10 of the Heal Thy Skin podcast. I'm Marnie, your host, and today I'm speaking with Vicky Solaridis. Vicky is a national recognized nutritionist, speaker, blogger, book reviewer, and the founder of MediMeals. Vicky worked in a skin clinic for four years treating psoriasis, eczema, acne, including cystic and hormonal, scarring, stretch marks, wrinkles, you name it. Um, Vicky used food and her knowledge of topical treatments and nutritionals um, and laser and light to achieve optimal skin health. And Vicky now dedicates herself to MediMeals, a company that creates organic and minimally processed meals for families and restorative meals for patients to enjoy. But today our focus is her um, background in skin. Vicky shares how her journey working in a skin clinic improved patients' outcomes and how food intolerances can actually present on the skin. I started by asking Vicky, what is the difference between a food intolerance and a food allergy? That affects numerous organs in the body. So it can cause a range of symptoms, like uh, if you have an allergy to a food, it's severe or life-threatening. So you have things like a constriction of the airways, severe hives, vomiting, wheezing, swelling of the lips, tingling of the mouth, and even a tiny amount of the food can cause a severe reaction. Um, Now, to give you an example, like my child has a no-nut policy at her school and it's not just because they share food, but if a tiny trace of that nut goes on, for example, a door handle and another child goes to touch that door handle and they don't even put that offending hand in their mouth but they rub their eyes, they will have this immune reaction, this response of the swelling and the inability to breathe. So it's, it's a really life-threatening situation and about three to eight percent of the population suffer a true food allergy it's a bit more in children so you're looking at about six to eight percent and in the adult range it's about three to four percent right whereas in contrast food intolerance symptoms are generally less serious and they're often limited to digestive problems so they're not due to an immune response. They're not going to cause constriction of the airways. Um, it's not going to be an immediate reaction. And if you do have a food intolerance, you may be able to still eat small amounts of the offending food without much trouble. So you can also help prevent that reaction. Now, as an example, if you have a lactose intolerance, you can still drink milk in the form of lactose-free milk 
or even take an enzyme, lactase, to aid the digestion of that milk. And usually the cause of the intolerance is due to a lack of enzyme needed to digest the food, a hormonal disturbance, stress, poor diet, alcohol or excessive alcohol consumption and IBS. And the most common symptoms of intolerances are digestive issues, diarrhea, cramping, you know, everyone gets bloated, they have headaches, migraines, um, fatigue sets in, concentrating problems, especially with children. Um, a lot of people have that afternoon slump. And on the skin, it comes up as a slowly progressive eczema, psoriasis, rosacea, acne, and sometimes people in the more severe cases end up with aching joints. Mm, interesting. Um, and I think there's such a big craze, you know, in the media and, and cafes offering so many different types of milks and, and some cafes even putting on the signs that they don't, you know, necessarily um, cater to food intolerances because there's this craze of all these people that are intolerant to something. But it's still, I mean, not necessarily life-threatening, but those symptoms that you explained can be pretty, um, they can affect someone's life quite significantly. Yeah, it's debilitating for the person because like, oh, no, I've got this cramp again. Oh, no, I've got this pain. But sometimes it's psychosomatic. So just because you're having it and you know you're having it can cause that reaction. So yeah. It's a, a catch-22. <laughs> Definitely makes sense. So why can food intolerances or allergies present on the skin? Mm. Now, allergies present on the skin, like I said, due to that immune response, okay? So the first time you eat the offending food that you do have an allergic reaction to, the immune system responds by creating specific antibodies. Now, when you eat that food again, the antibodies spring into action and they release a large amount of histamine in the body in an effort to expel that foreign invader. Now, histamine is so powerful, it affects the respiratory system and it, like the swelling and the wheezing, uh, vomiting, cramping, hives. Um, and this reaction is immediate. So you're going to get that about no more than two hours after having something that, that was offending. Okay. The hives are really itchy. They're swollen. They can look like welts on the skin. Like it is quite noticeable. It's really inflamed. Uh, sometimes it can show up around the eyes, the tongue, the lips and the hands and feet. So if you notice that with this sort of inflammation that you get a bit of itching in the throat or swelling in the throat, a tingling sort of sensation in the mouth uh, in conjunction with the skin rash, you can be sure it's an allergy. Intolerance, however, can take like up to 72 hours after consuming that food, right? And it's not obvious how it manifests. It's kind of creeping up on you it's not like oh my god look at my arm it's so red no 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 it, it takes far longer to get to that point so with the allergy it's fast and it's severe but sometimes with medication it'll it'll reduce the food intolerance not as fast not as severe mm. and these intolerances cause inflammation in the body and this initially happens in the gut and i'll, I'll explain a bit about how this intolerance develops so like I mentioned, um, if you don't have the right enzymes, you can have problems digesting food and you will develop that intolerance. Um, if you don't have the enzymes to digest the foods properly, like proteins and sugars that are in the foods, it can damage the small intestine. Now, damage to this intestine over and over again means that these um, the intestine can develop little holes, okay, because it's damaged, and then 
when you eat food, the partially digested food flows directly into the bloodstream, okay? The body then detects these as foreign objects and sets up inflammation. Now, it's not going to be so severe. It's over time. Over extended period of time, the body becomes more and more inflamed. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Gluten intolerance is quite common. It causes inflammation in the body and it can manifest as swelling in the form of psoriasis, okay? A wheat allergy, if you have an allergic reaction to the protein in the wheat, it's going to cause swelling, swelling, itching, hives, um, and sometimes constriction of the airways. A lactose intolerance is the reduced ability to digest milk sugars, and these symptoms include bloating and diarrhea. But if you had an allergic reaction to dairy, then you would have severe eczema and really severe acne and vomiting that goes in conjunction with this. All right, so people also get wheezing. People also get constriction of the airways and a swollen tongue if they have an allergy. So do, in that case, do specific food or food intolerances have specific skin conditions that pre present, whether it be eczema, psoriasis, or is it different for every person? Okay, good question. Um, as every person is different and the biochemistry of each person is different, it, it can show up slightly differently, but there are definitely some commonalities. So I would put dairy into a group of eczema and gluten into a group of psoriasis. Okay, but that's very general and sometimes they can have crossovers. But generally, yes, eczema and acne is dairy and psoriasis is more gluten. Mm, that's really fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, and so the main difference between if someone was having a food intolerance um, or how it was presenting on the skin would really be that time delay, as you mentioned before. Yeah, and the severity. Yep. So if you're getting a really <laughs> shocking response, very noticeable all of a sudden, rather than, oh, I've got a little bit of an itch just on my arm, as opposed to, oh, my gosh, my arm is just full of welts. They're really different. Yeah. So you mentioned some things that can present on the skin like, uh, you know, psoriasis, mm. eczema. What are some other things that you've seen on the skin that actually present from something that may be linked to a food intolerance or allergy. Mm, okay, so the common ones are acne, psoriasis, eczema, itching and moderate hives. Um, but they, they're gradual. They increase in severity over time. Uh, and it's actually important here that I mention this, okay, because I find even with my own work, I get people who come in and think they've got an allergy, but it's an intolerance. Uh, an intolerance and allergy differ in that we, if you delay an exposure to a certain food, then you are more likely to present with an allergy, whereas an intolerance is due to an overexposure to a food. So in Australia, I'll give you a really good example because it's real and it's reported and I would say that most mothers that have had children in the last 10 years would have, would have noticed this. Uh, in Australia, we saw a marked increase in the amount of children with allergies, specifically eczema, psoriasis, hives, itching, you know, just general skin conditions, acne even at a younger age, all these little dots on the face, keratosis pilaris on the back of the arms, you know, the bumpy skin on the back of the arms. Mm. Um, there was a large increase of this and it was later found that it was due to delaying children to the exposure of certain foods.
So nuts, milk, wheat, you know, there was a huge push from maternal health nurses to restrict these foods until they were a certain age. <laughs> what they found, in fact, was there was a huge spike in the amount of allergies that presented in these children in the age where they were suggested these restrictions. So after March research, it was decided that it's a bad idea to delay food because the delaying of food is what caused these allergic reactions. And it would be more beneficial to expose the kids to a wider range of foods at a younger age. And I find this interesting because I have two daughters. One is nine and one is six. Now, in that three-year difference that they have, the rules change from don't give your kids this and this to actually, you know what, give your kid everything. And really, that's, that's how it was. I remember going to the maternal health nurse with my first child and, you know, don't give them this, don't give them that, you know, it's no good for them. I actually didn't listen, which was um, because my mum's a midwife and she was like, you know, just dip your finger in anything, anything that you're eating, dip your finger in and just put it in their mouth and their bodies will develop the ability to metabolise those foods. With my second child, when we went to the maternal health nurse, she said, you know what, things have changed. Give your child anything from a young age. It shouldn't matter because what we're finding is kids have had these bumps on the back of their arms has increased, hives has increased, um, eczema and psoriasis. So just give your kids whatever you think, you know, introduce them to whatever you're having. Now, in my child's school, my eldest child, there are four kids in her class that have got allergies, not intolerances, but actual allergies. And they're to those things that they were recommended not to introduce the food. So don't give your kids nuts, wheat, soy, dairy or eggs. And those kids have an allergy to those foods that they were recommended not to consume. In my six-year-old's class, and in fact her entire year level, there is only one child with an allergy. So we've gone from four kids in one class to one child in an entire year level. Fascinating. Fascinating. So while, while they say, you know, give your kids everything, you need to be careful not to overexpose the kid to the same food or the ingredient all the time. Now, it sounds really, you know, oh, I could do that. But it's not that easy because you think about breakfast, lunch and dinner, most people would have toast or cereal for breakfast, lunch will be a sandwich, and dinner you probably have pasta or something similar, Right. So you're having wheat and gluten for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And in actual fact, we shouldn't. We should only have that one serve a day. I mean, would you have chicken for breakfast, lunch and dinner? No. <laughs> it's this overexposure and we don't want to overexpose our kids um, so that if we do, because if we do, they will end up with the psoriasis, the itchy skin and so on and so forth. So um, what was I going to say? Sorry, Marnie. So it really comes back to um, eating a balanced diet um, and there's all these mono diets where they're not only, you know, so restrictive. So we're cutting out entire food groups um, because of some diet trend. So if that happens from a very young age, we can actually develop allergies or intolerances later on. Exactly. Particularly... Um... Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. If you are going to restrict things, you are likely to get an intolerance, uh, sorry, an allergy. Um, and if you overexpose, then you'll get that intolerance. So, yes, you're right. Yeah, that's so fascinating. Now, um, my background is, you know, treating skin conditions and some of these skin conditions are chronic and, um, and the, they may have had multiple treatments and all these different modalities. And 
And it's, it is difficult sometimes when you haven't had that background or experience in perhaps nutrition or naturopathy or, or that kind of that training in how foods will there's often not that link either mm, mm. it's not something that generally crosses over so if someone is say treating a skin condition will topical treatments assist with food related skin conditions or is it just kind of like banging your head against a brick wall like yes it may assist then it's going to flare up again as soon as they have that like how do you kind of manage that if you're a therapist that may not even be working with a a nutritionist or a, in a kind of integrative type practice? Yeah, that's a good question. And I, I do believe there needs to be working together between those modalities. So I, I do think that topical treatments do assist. It, it, it will assist, but it won't cure. And this is seen when people stop applying the products to the affected area uh, and the diet has not changed at all, the condition returns, right? So, for example, acne from over-dairy consumption. It'll subside for a while if you use benzoyl peroxide or retinol, but once you stop, they're going to come back. And this is where even in my clinic, if I see someone comes in and says, oh, you know, I've got this, this and this, I will actually refer them to a dermal therapist to say, get these treatments because what I want is I want the patient to get an instant result because if I'm telling them avoid these foods... I guarantee you 80% of the people two weeks later will just go back to eating what, what they were not supposed to just because they haven't seen a positive outcome. They haven't seen the acne go away. But it's going to take much longer than two weeks to get a result. But if they see a dermal therapist who says, you know, I'm going to treat your skin using microdermabrasion, uh, some chemical peels, you know, we'll even do some topical products, that, that patient will get results straight away. They'll feel really good. And then they'll think, oh, it must also be because I've removed this, this uh, food from my diet. So I get compliance. So, mm -hmm. yes, topical treatments work, but they work just on the outside. You have to actually repair what's going on on the inside. Yes, absolutely. It makes sense. And, like what are your views, I guess, on people cutting out complete food groups due to a skin condition? We've spoken briefly about it, um, but why should some people do it? Why shouldn't they? How do they know when they should? Mm. Look, unless you have an allergy, I'm not a fan of cutting foods out completely or indefinitely, right? There is, there is a time when you have an intolerance that you may need to do it for a certain amount of time. But unless you have an allergy, I wouldn't do it. So our bodies are so smart. They're infinitely complex. They have the ability to self-repair. Sometimes they may need a little bit of help with the right diet or probiotics or enzymes, but generally the body can repair itself. Like when you cut your finger, magic happens. It repairs. So my answer is do, do a food intolerance test, right? And when you do this test, it will tell you what you need to avoid. Now, by avoid, I mean just to avoid for a period of time. Usually it's three, four, five months, depends on the severity of that intolerance. Uh, and then you, for example, reduce your intake by half or reduce it even more, let's say, instead of every second day, you'd have it every second week or whatever it is. Or don't be so strict with the ingredients on the back of like a cake if it's got wheat in it and you've got a gluten intolerance. Well, instead of having a big slice, have a small slice. Um, now, 
I think that's a good idea because over time you can reintroduce that food back into your diet. You don't want to eliminate something entirely because a lot of people go on these fad diets like they eliminate dairy, citrus, gluten, the nightshade family, uh, and they do it for months only to find that the intolerance was only due to one of those food groups. So if you're going to eliminate for extended periods of time, do it one food at a time and start with the obvious offenders like gluten and then yeast and then egg and then dairy. But give each food one month off and then see if there's any improvement in the conditions. Now, some practitioners will say three months off. Depends on the severity of what your symptoms are. So if you see that after removing gluten for one month, the you know, your symptoms have reduced, then you know that's the offending ingredient and you didn't waste your time reducing everything in your diet because it's unrealistic. And in some, in some ways you'll be reducing some nutrients that you may need from a particular food group, particularly citrus, right? If you remove all citrus from your diet, well, you have to consider where else can I supplement my vitamin C or my bioflavonoids from? So, mm. yeah, I don't recommend eliminating entirely indefinitely. And it's not like just because you're experiencing acne, cut out dairy yourself. It wouldn't, it wouldn't necessarily be something that you just <laughs> start doing yourself and, and testing or, or do you think it would be good, a preliminary for someone to cut out certain things and then keep a record of it mm. and actually go to a nutritionist? Yeah, so my first point is to see a nutritionist or a doctor that can guide you through the process. But look, Sometimes that's unrealistic and people want to do it themselves. And that's fine as long as you keep a food diary and you are doing it responsibly. So if you say, I'm cutting out all dairy, you have to consider, well, what is dairy? Dairy is not just milk, but it's also cheese. It's yogurt. Um, some people have kefir. Uh, you have to look on the back of certain products to see if there's dairy or dairy substitutes in there. And sometimes it may not be dairy. It could be soy. So if you're going to do it, you, you concentrate on one food group at a time and do that for a month, keep a food diary, and then slowly reintroduce that food and then completely remove the next food. So before you go on to the next food that you eliminate, make sure you've completely reintroduced the previous food so there's no confusion. Yeah. So if someone's, say, listening and they suspect that they may have an intolerance or allergy to something because they've got persistent eczema, persistent psoriasis, yeah persistent, I guess, skin conditions, um, what would you suggest they do? My first inkling is to, if you suspect an allergy, see a doctor or a specialist and they will do a skin prick test or a blood test, right, if you, if you suspect an allergy. If you suspect an intolerance, there are practitioners that do a blood test procedure and you can get the result. There are some that will do it and it will take three or four weeks, but most of the time it only takes 40 minutes, to be honest. <laughs> um, and some practitioners do prefer doing the elimination diet and monitoring symptoms, but I like using the Intolerance Food Kit. Um, it's quick, it's easy, it tests for about 40 different foods if you suspect an intolerance, and it's the 40 most com well, it's actually 46 common foods. Um, and if nothing comes up on that, then there is a more detailed test that you can order through your healthcare practitioner, and that'll check for over 200 different types of products or ingredients, including preservatives, colorings, and so on and so forth. Um, keep in mind that most practitioners will ask you, please 
have you have you got a diary of some sort that explains to me what your symptoms are based on what you've eaten? So if you're going to go into see a practitioner, they may request that information first. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, in our preliminary interview, you explained how your role saw you assisting treatments of many skin conditions. Can you tell us a little bit more about your experience actually working in a clinical setting as a nutritionist treating skin? God, that was a while ago. But, yeah, so um, I started working off in an aesthetic clinic, right, in my final year at uni, um, and that was just to give me a bit of understanding how clinics work, what's the flow of life like in a clinic. Um, And it was with a doctor as well as with dermal therapists. And most people that would come in would come for simple cosmetic procedures under the guidance of these professionals. So injectables, anti-wrinkle, Uh, laser therapy, peels, microderm, you name it, right? But no one was targeting um, the nutritional side of things. Everything was topical. Um, Now, I came in and I would see patients and I just became fascinated with how the skin was a map for the body. I loved it. I was like, wow, you know, I'm starting to see similarities in people that have acne, for example, on the jawline. Most of these people have got hormonal imbalances as opposed to someone that's got acne on the forehead or someone that's got acne on the nose. They're they're different. They're due to different things. Um, I would see a lot of people that had keratosis pilaris, eczema, psoriasis, and I could see patterns in in their age group and in the diet. And I was just thinking, you know, there is so much to be said for working together in a clinic because I've got the doctors that can prescribe retinoids internally, like orally. I've got dermal therapists that can work on the skin uh, to make them look wonderful and feel good about themselves because that's really important as well because most skin conditions is all about how you feel about yourself as well. And I'd work on repairing the gut so that we could, you know, reduce having the, the internal uh, medication, right? Now, I found myself suggesting supplements to these patients to take internally and then I realised with my biochem knowledge that I could suggest the right products that they would use on their skin because I'm not immune. I spend money on face care, skin care. I love it. And it's good to have knowledge to look at the ingredients and go, right, you need, for example, salicylic acid to break down um, the oil part component of your skin or you need benzoyl peroxide because it acts as an agent that kills off the acne bacteria. So having that knowledge, rather than just blindly telling people to take products, having that knowledge was really important. The GP, you and a dermal therapist dream team. (laughs) (laughs) It was really good. It was was really good. And and what were the different, like when you, I'm just really interested about that role as well. When you first came on board, was it something that, they recognised that some of these skin conditions could be benefited from changing someone's dietary or lifestyle habits and that's why you were brought on or or did it just kind of work out that way? The doctor was the one that actually saw it. Um, He was... He did uh, fat injections as well, so, you know, the injections that help reduce um, the fat content in the body. And I was initially initially taken on to do that. But to be honest, I didn't have much interest. (laughs) Um, And I sort of developed my own niche, 
right? So he would say, Vicky, can you work with these people to get their diet under control so they could lose weight faster while this um, injectable is working? I'm like, yeah, okay, no worries. But then he would see patients that had severe acne and I would be like, hey, do you mind if I take some of these patients and then I can help them? And then you probably don't have to see as many of these type of patients and you can focus more on the injectables and I can focus on people that are displaying with, you know, skin problems like real conditions that can be alleviated through diet and he was like yeah sure and that's how it evolved that's the reality of it what are your thoughts on an integrative approach to treating skin conditions i'm sure you say all for it but what about those um, clinics that may not have a nutritionist or even nutritionists that are working um, you know, alone and perhaps they, they're they not working with dermal therapists but they're seeing a lot of people for skin, like what would you say to them? And, um, and also then it comes back to the actual client. When you're treating a skin condition, who do you go see first if they're not? Yeah, yeah, that's, they're, they're great questions. Um, so I suppose the first part is if, if I was a patient and I'm seeing, I'm going to a clinic and I'm seeing a dermal therapist, um, I'm going to get instant results, you know. By the second or third treatment, I'm going to see my skin looks amazing. But then I have to maintain that by seeing someone all the time. And it, it is not to be expected that the dermal therapist will be able to give advice on diet. But I'm sure most of them would say, have you considered that X, Y, Z might be causing the problem? I reckon a lot of people are now quite in tune. Uh, and a referral to a a, a clinician and you know a nutritionist would be advisable but the same thing goes for a nutritionist that thinks um that they can keep a patient for so long (laughs) without sending them somewhere to get treatment immediately i think you you really need to work together and i I think knowledge is power I, i see that everyone wants to keep knowledge to themselves and patients to themselves but it doesn't work like that i think we need to share the love a bit and say hey I can help you with this part. I can help getting your gut back on track. But if you want to see results immediately because you've got some fancy wedding in a week's time or two weeks' time, go and um, look at getting some topical treatments done to your face or to your arms or legs or wherever it is. Um, and the, the next part is, sorry, Manini, what was the last part of the question? You asked something. The last part was, well, um, so if you're working as a nutritionist separately, or a dermal therapist separately. I mean, how do you kind of work, start working intra-professionally if you're working in separate clinics? But also, mm. if you're a client, who do you see first? Oh yeah, who do you see first? Yeah. Um, look, if I was a patient, my first point of call would probably be to see a dermal therapist first because I know I'm going to get what I need straight away. But that's me. Other people may sort of um, go to a nutritionist first or to a doctor first, which is is also good. There is no right answer. It's, it's, you have to just see both. And most people would probably this, this day and age see a doctor first, but I'm thinking about myself 20 years ago, I would have seen a dermal therapist first. Yeah. That's, that's the, if I didn't have the knowledge of, of nutrition, I would, I would probably see a dermal therapist first. But we need to work together. I mean, it's to be expected. You can't just work on the outside without fixing the inside. It, it makes sense. You know, people are smiling, but they've got depression. I mean, it works in and out. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, yeah, so essentially there's no real wrong answer, but if you are having a skin condition that is persistent and perhaps you're seeking treatment for it, it would be beneficial to see 
multiple, even if they were at different clinics, um, but then also try getting them to all talk to each other as well. Yeah, yeah. That's important thing so that yeah. everyone knows where everyone's at and so that treatments aren't conflicting with other, you know, medications or topical things that you're also doing. Exactly, yeah. Um, you mentioned something before that was interesting about seeing a dermal therapist um, if if you were to see a dermal therapist first or you go to an aesthetic clinic and they work on you and and then you cease that treatment and then your condition comes back, then you know that you need to see uh, another healthcare practitioner to, to work on the symptoms that you're, you're um, manifesting. That to me would make sense. But if you see a dermal therapist, they fix your problem and then you don't continue with the treatment and there's nothing that's come back, well, there's no need to see a nutritionist. That's That's another thing. Yeah, it, it it makes sense as well, and I think it's important for a therapist to also recognise that if you're getting treatments, but it's only momentarily treatments, then it is would be good to kind of refer on to someone else as well. Yeah, especially like the the cystic acne conditions. I think yeah. we can say, oh, that that to me is hormonal. We need to work on this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and go see an endocrinologist or someone. Yeah. Going exactly. to, be able to work with those hormones. Just a, something that um, came up that I thought would be interesting is when someone's undergoing certain treatments, whether it be laser, whether it be needling, whether it be something that's not so um, invasive, even facials or chemical peels, and when you do your initial consultation, the therapist or on the consultation form, there's usually, are you on any medications? And something when I was working in a clinic is, often people would forget to list their vitamins. They would mm. forget to list other herbs and other preparations that they think are natural. Would you be able to explain from, you know, your background why it's so important uh, that when someone's undergoing treatments that they actually are really transparent in what they're using? Because you've been on both sides. You've worked in a skin clinic, um, treating skin. Uh, you know what the treatments kind of involve, but you're also – come from the nutrition background as well so you know how they work internally yeah right so um i'll use a really simple example right of fish oil because most people would take fish oil uh, fish oil is an anti-inflammatory that's what it's designed for so you've got uh, fish oil that's high in epa or fish oil that's high in dha or you've got a good balance of both but that's what they're they're for nerves uh, eyesight, anything that coats the nervous system, uh, the nerves in the nervous system, as well as anti-inflammatory. So if you have been suggested to take a fish oil for your eczema or your psoriasis, then it's going to calm it down. But the problem is if you end up getting treatment and you, you still present with um, that particular condition, but it's not obvious, so the condition is not obvious on the skin, but you get a chemical peel and underlying that is psoriasis, oh, my God catastrophic for the patient mm -hmm. so you you might not think that it's important to list it but you do need to say right i'm taking for example fish oil or i am taking a particular herb that is also uh for my hormones or for my inflammation but it's still there right it's just not as noticeable so then the the dermal therapist or the clinician can say, okay, so why are you taking fish oil? What, what's the purpose of it? Oh, it's for your arthritis or your aching joints. Okay, I don't need to worry. It's not for your skin condition. So therefore I can apply this high-strength AHA, um, you know, peel on your skin. Yeah, you have to be completely transparent always. Yeah, yeah. So list 
everything on your consultation forms, okay, people? Yeah, very important. <laughs> very important. Um, so this has been a fascinating conversation, um, Vicky. We've covered a lot of ground. If someone wants to know more about food intolerances, allergies or even skin, where can they find more about you? Oh, to find out more about me, I have a really interesting website. It's uh, vickysolaritas.com. Um, I also recommend seeing uh, a website if you're interested in intolerance, so food intolerance packs. There's a company called fooddetective.com.au. Um, but always, if you're going to do something like this, it is best to do it under the guidance of a doctor or a healthcare practitioner because um, they can guide you through how to reintroduce food slowly back into your diet and repair your body in, in the process. Thank you so much for being a guest on today's show. Pleasure. Really informative and I think really fascinating to think about how nutrition um, and can have an effect on our skin but also how these intolerances can come out with skin conditions that we may not have thought about before. Mm, mm. I'm glad. I'm glad I could help out and... It was great fun talking to you. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Vicky. Thank you so much. What another great interview. Vicky shared with us the difference between a food intolerance and a food allergy and gave some hot tips on how to recognize a food intolerance on the skin. The three deeper than skin insights that stood out to me were number one, I found it really interesting to learn how allergies and intolerances can display on the skin and that sometimes an intolerance may take several days to actually manifest. So keeping a skin diary is highly recommended if you suspect that you may have an intolerance to something so that you can show your practitioner or nutritionist or medic. Number two, working collaboratively leads to better outcomes. In our interviews, I hear this time and time again, and while it's not a must to see multiple specialists for one concern, it certainly can be beneficial if your condition is persistent or if you suspect that there is an internal imbalance happening. And number three, an intolerance doesn't necessarily mean that you need to cut out that food type from your diet completely. It may just mean something that you need to limit your consumption or go off for a period of time. We don't promote self-diagnosing by any means or cutting out entire food groups. So if any of the points sparked a thought that you may have an allergy or intolerance, it's recommended that you seek a healthcare professional's advice prior to undergoing any changes in your lifestyle. Are you feeling disempowered or confused about your skin? You can now join the DermHealth Co. Insider community to learn about your skin, connect with others in the community and find specialised practitioners to feel empowered on your skin health journey so you can face the world faster. Whether you are experiencing a long-standing skin condition, recent disease, injury, trauma or niggling skin question, there is a place for you at DermHealth Co. And the best part is that as a DermHealth Co. Insider, your membership is absolutely free. So jump online at dermhealth.co and join today. I look forward to seeing you on the inside.